everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. So anyway, let's talk. We'll have fun. Dr. Sack, um, please tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do for a living and what uh, what your so just a little bit about yourself, just a three minute history. Okay, um, can you hear me? Yes. Oh yeah, we hear you just fine. I have been a uh, general pediatrician for uh, thirty three years. I actually will be retiring in a few weeks from that, but. For the last seven years, I have also been a freelance writer and editor, and I write on health topics. Cool. And you, when you say freelance, where would you, where would whatever you write be published typically? Okay. Uh, well, I have my own column in a newspaper here in Key West, Florida, where I live uh, for many years. I have also blogged on a pregnancy website known as Pregistry, and I have got, gotten a couple of articles into some trade journals, uh, one on uh, healthcare on an island and one on childhood obesity. Wow, very cool. So is that in your, in your practice, um, have you... I won't use the word specialized because that's a that's a medical word. I know. Have you have you used those two areas, pregnancy and obesity, as things that you've probably spent a little bit more time on, or have you been a pretty typical GP through your career? Uh, well, in in the scheme of things, uh, I have been fairly typical in that I have seen a little bit of everything. I guess I. The interest I have developed in, in childhood obesity really comes from seeing in my practice how much of a problem it is. And so I have been spending a little bit more time on that topic uh, and uh, have done another webinar on it and uh, in addition to the article in the trade journal. Cool. And... As you retire from whatever your practice has been, are you going to be writing more? Is that intent? Is that intended to become a, a bigger part of your of your daily your daily life? Yes, that's absolutely the plan. I feel like I have a lot to say. Uh, I have. Uh, I also have an interest in uh, GLBT issues, which of course are being in the news these days. And uh, I probably have a fair amount of experience in uh, what to do for with child behavior and attention issues. And also the other thing I try and do in my writing is, um, and this is a sort of more of the miscellaneous category, is trying to answer the question that parents have but is not really answered anywhere um, too often. The same article is written. Uh, there is, there are many, many good articles on breastfeeding and all the advantages of it. But 
there are less articles. They're not zero articles, but there are less articles, for example, on what about breastfeeding problem A and how do we get around it and what about breastfeeding problem B. So I, I think just having practiced as long as I have, I see some of the issues and they don't, as a matter of fact, most of the issues are so prevalent that uh, although we have translators for every foreign language, if, if, I'm, if I'm hearing somebody speaking a foreign language, all I need to know is one or two words in that language. And I know that the parent is asking the same question I've heard uh, thousands of times in English as well. So. Uh, so I'm, I'm always trying to answer those questions that just aren't in the articles. Awesome. Do, um, in your time in medicine, are, is it your opinion that more or less new mothers are breastfeeding their children than, let's say, that was occurring 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I think that there is more of an uptick. Um, I would like—I mean, I would like to say that mothers have have been making the best of an unfortunate situation. Um, of course, early this year we had the infant formula shortage, but I think I think a lot of the reasons that they are breastfeeding more are that hospitals and practices are making it more of a priority. And I think maybe there is a little bit more attention being paid to how do we circumvent this problem or that problem. I think a lot of the reason is that nurses in the nursery are just working with these mothers from breastfeed one and really, really making it a priority. There's a lot more rooming in so the baby's right there. and. Uh, um, there's a lot more teaching and uh, probably even before the baby's born, parents are really being made aware of it. So we are making some inroads there. That's interesting because I, um, I have seven grandchildren with one on the way. Um, so we'll have eight in the near future. Uh -huh. And my, my daughters are in their 30s. They were all breastfed by my wife, um, and yet I don't think any one of the three of them breastfed their seven <laughs> children um, for more than a very short period of time. So I would say they would tell you that their generation, probably the little bit of older side of mothers, younger, you know, uh -huh. mothers with children, were not either in encouraged to breastfeed or uh, or uh, did it as much 10 years ago let's say because I have my, my oldest grandchild is 16 the next one's 14 there's a 12 10 8 4 and 2 those are the did that add up to 7 <laughs> so uh, anyway um, so that's what's interesting and and yet I think my that my wife breastfed our um, three daughters um, for you know a long, quite a long period. So uh -huh. anyway, um, no. obesity. Tell me yeah. about what what are we going to do to curb obesity in this country? What is your opinion? Okay, you know I really. <laughs> 
talking about, it, it's really, really a very difficult problem. Uh, and I think the first thing we need to do, a lot of us, particularly those of us in any of the care industries, uh, sometimes just sort of throw up our hands and say, oh, this is just such a problem. But uh, it, uh, but we really need to put our heads together and focus on solutions. Now, that is not really a particularly good answer as to what we're going to do, but that's, I think we really need to start understanding the problem. Um, first of all, uh, we need to think of it more as an illness. Uh, and I think if we think of it more as an Ill illness, we may get a few more resources devoted to it in both research and in clinical practice, which is one of the issues that we run into. Um, and I think uh, we also need to be given the time to really sit down with families, get into what they're doing and, and why this might be. I also think obesity really, obesity training of families really begins in pregnancy and at birth. Uh, how are you going to feed your child? Um, uh, this is, once again, this is getting back to breastfeeding and this is getting back to really not giving early solids. The first patient I ever saw in practice, this is right out of residency and I was still orienting to the office, uh, was a two week old baby in with the mother and the grandmother and they were feeding this kid solid food already. Uh, now, we used to say no solid food for six months. We are giving it a little bit earlier than that now because of the effect on allergies. But I think there is a little bit too much emphasis on feeding kids early. And even if you're just giving breast or formula, just especially formula, just um, uh, misinterpreting when they really had enough. I think that sets people up for for obesity for life. That's interesting. So in your opinion, or is it a, even a broader opinion, it, a lot of obese children, let's let's talk about 10-year-olds. Let's just keep that, let's use that age. Uh-huh. Been obese since, you know, very, very early. And it may have been highly influenced by their eating habits, breastfeeding, otherwise, at a very, very young age. Yeah, that right? Yes, um, it's shown that obesity tracks pretty well through life. So if you have a, if you have a, a child or a young child or baby who suffers uh, from obesity, then you will probably have an older child and older with older children in particular, it will track into adulthood. Uh, we have found that breastfeeding is protective against obesity, both for the mother and the child. But it's when we start supplementing more than we need to with formula and with other foods that we run into the problem. Uh, 
But getting back to your original point, that is absolutely well taken, that uh, obesity tends to track throughout childhood. And it really becomes a very tough nut to crack unless we really, really put a lot of work into it early on. And let's say you go through childhood, you are obese, what are your chances to eliminate that condition by changing your habits, whether it's your eating habits or your exercise habits or, or, or let's say something that isn't medication oriented or even more serious, which I have several friends that have, you know, done, done, you know, stomach ties and such and, 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 and that have, you know, used other much more extreme methods to reduce uh -huh. their weight. Yeah, and we and we see this in kids too, particularly in teenagers, as some now are getting the surgery. That is for extreme cases, of course. Um, but um, it, I mean, it it's it's tough. I think that the the operative word is changing the habits, and I I think that that is what is difficult. Now, if you have a young kid, um, the the flippant way of saying it is, I mean, we adults are, are bigger than the young kids and we, we can control to some degree what we feed them and how they eat. Um, I think that if you really get into what a family situation is like, what a home situation is like, there is some hope that you can make some changes. And we have ways of doing that, which don't always work, but which sometimes do, that uh, I'd, I'd be happy to uh, spend a few minutes on as well. Yeah, I'm gonna have you do that in just a second, because I think we're kind of getting things organized a little more here. Mark, are you, so Mark, you're, I'm assuming that your, um, your mic is not working still, although it looks like it is now. Mark, is your is your mic working? He's in, and so he's, I just want to make sure he's hearing us. Um, or type into the question bar box, Mark. I'm mainly trying to make sure because I don't usually admin this. You do to to see, and he just clicked that he just turned his mic off. Um, that we're going out to the audience and I'm not convinced of that because I don't have any evidence because I've asked people to put in a one or anything into the Q&A box that they're hearing us. I just want to do that before I continue ahead here. By the way, don't worry about your time, uh, Dr. Sack. We'll make sure you're off because I actually have another meeting that follows this too. So, um, and Mark, for whatever reason, Mark is just He's still on, but his microphone is muted. But I didn't. I don't see anything into. Uh, Mark put hello. I see that Mark in the chat. So would you put a one in, please, if you're hearing us, um, so that we know this is getting recorded, which it shows that it is, and that the audience is able to hear. Would you please put that in? So, Dr. Sack, back to what we were just on. Tell us a little bit about what you think that, that, that people should be doing 
um, either, let's say, as children or older, to counteract their obesity? What, what, are the, what are the best steps to be taking? Okay, well, let me give you some of the simple answers, and then I'll, I'll tell you about how we might accomplish, accomplish that in the real world. Um, uh, the simple stuff that we pass on are things like breastfeeding. Um, I'm a big one and, uh, for getting rid of the baby bottle early, um, not letting a kid walk around with the bottle, because what happens is uh, one of several things. Um, most of the liquids that go in the bottle uh, can predispose not only to obesity, but to other problems. Uh, there's a misconception that uh, juice, for example, is a great food, and it really should be limited to about four ounces a day, which is impossible uh, if it's just uh, in the bottle and, and the toddler is walking around with it. Um, even if milk is in the bottle, uh, that has some calories too. And mealtimes really should be mealtimes when you're sitting down and uh, feeding either by breast bottle or, or solid food or some combination of the above. Uh, not something that you do when you're walking around. Uh, even if the bottle has water in it, uh, you run into another the other problem, whereas kids don't eat necessarily properly, and that gets the parent to paradoxically give the kids some juice. <laughs> um, so that's not so good either. A um, uh, couple of other things that we we pass on, and this is our our this is our counseling really pretty much for everybody or for kids that might just be teetering and have a borderline weight issue. Uh, kids take a lot more interest in healthy food if they are allowed to participate in its um, procurement, I guess is one way of saying it. Have kids um, shop with the parents for food, have them help prepare the food, and if the situation permits, have them help grow some food, have them have a little garden, uh, have them go fishing. There's, there's a lot of fishing where I am, because we're an island, um, not so many farms. And they take a, a lot of great interest. I, I knew that one parent, I was in a market once, and I, was, I knew one parent really had this down when I heard it, the child, I think, was maybe, it was kind of mid-elementary school, maybe about eight, eight or nine, and said, I like, I heard him tell his mother, I like trying all sorts of different types of water. And I said, oh, this mother has this child trained. Uh, so um, shopping is a big thing. Uh, eating as a family is very important. Just knowing that mealtime is mealtime. And getting back to babyhood, uh, learn to recognize baby's hunger cues. Every baby that cries isn't necessarily hungry. Um, sometimes babies want to be held. Sometimes babies early in infancy have just a naturally fussy disposition, which gets better. Um, similarly, teach children not to eat when they are stressed or bored. Can they do something else to deal with the stress or boredom rather than going to the kitchen? Same thing that adults do there. And limiting time in front of a screen is very important. Um, we as pediatricians like no screen time under two and one hour a day above that. Uh, 
um, the most we can generally hope for in most households is two hours a day. And exercise is important as well. So those are the general strategies we, we um, recommend. The issue is getting them there. Uh, and knowing that we have a real world here. We, ne we necessarily can't necessarily eat as a family because um, particularly where I live and we have a huge tourist industry, half the family members may be working in the evenings. Um, if uh, there may be some societal or cultural or extended family pressures in terms of uh, recognizing babies' hunger cues and knowing when babies are hungry and need to be fed. Um, some people can't breastfeed. Um, sometimes a mother is stressed and it is a lot of work sometimes to get a baby off a bottle. But if it's done early, it's easier. Uh, and again, we sometimes have to fight for screen time and exercise isn't always possible either. So what, you, what we really do is we try and ask the family, Okay, here are some things you should be doing. First of all, do you see this weight as a problem for your child? Because not everybody will. We have some people feel that their their child who clearly has a high weight uh, is the, the parent sometimes feels they're not eating enough. Um, so that's a little work there for us. Um, we try and say, if, assuming they per, do perceive the problem, can we take just a couple of small steps? Uh, it, it might be hard in somebody's schedule to fit in more exercise, but can they switch that soda to water? Can we do one thing? Well, of these things that I presented to you, what one or two things can we maybe start to do? Then, then making changes for healthy weight doesn't seem as daunting. Uh, all those things sound, you know, sound like they make a lot of intuitive sense, even for a, for a person that doesn't have the, the medical knowledge. So what, um, what about an older, a teenage child that, that has an obesity issue? Again, is it still from the parents' side and the, 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 the medical um, side, an education issue. Um, and again, isn't, isn't, at least I've seen it with people that I know that are close to me. And by the way, I can't relate to it. So I weigh 173 yesterday. Um, I weighed 175 when I graduated from high school, and I'm more than 50 years past that date now. I, I've never had a weight issue. If anything, I'm a runner, and, and I can get too low in my weight. I mean, I, I when I'm very seriously training, I can be easily in the 160s, 168, 169, which is too low. That, that little bit of additional loss is, is too much for me. But I have so many friends that are overweight or are obese, and they've tried so hard to, to lose weight, and, and, and they go through cycles. They lose weight, they gain weight. They lose weight, they gain weight. Does that happen with children just like it does with adults? I guess my focus has been on adults, and as I say that. 
I mean, it can be. I mean, certainly, I, I mean, a lot of younger children are really dictated by what's in the house and what their parents feed them. There is, I found a very interesting, um, I think this was actually in, um, by the way, I do need to, to talk about this book. It's not my book, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not plugging a book of mine, but I, I will tell, tell you about a book that is a very, very interesting. But anyway, I was reading in uh, a reference book about this problem, and um, I found it fascinating that um, uh, overweight in children was linked to attention deficit disorder, which I think everybody pretty much knows what that is now. So, and uh, the ADD, as it's as it's called, um, involves a lot of impulsive behavior. And uh, what do we do impulsively? We eat. I mean, that's one of the things we do. So, um, so that really makes a lot of sense. And some, um, and even without ADD, I mean, teens can sometimes have a lot of mood swings and be very impulsive. And sometimes eating for all of us is a stress reducer. So uh, the the trick is in anybody in whom that happens, regardless of their age, is to, uh, is there some, something else we can do for the stress? Or if we are going to eat, can we have something easily reachable in the refrigerator that maybe is a little bit healthier that we can just grab? Um, can we go for a walk? Can we go listen to music? Can we do? Can we call a friend? Um, uh, uh, but anything. But once you realize that the that that you're eating for that reason, are we eating because we're bored? Are we eating in front of the television? Um, uh, I mean, screen time. I probably don't have to tell anybody that screen time is a major issue, um, particularly. Um, well, for all of us, really, I can't even single out adolescents in that regard. But uh, I think adolescents are the one for, that we think of first when we think of when we think of screen time. Um, uh, and it's it's a time when people will tend to eat and snack, and um, uh, which is an issue. Um, time, by the way, so everybody gets it. Screen time has probably migrated from ten years ago when or fifteen when you said screen time, you really meant watching TV, and today, uh, probably more often, your phone, right? Or, or a, yeah. an, an adolescent's phone, where that, uh, they're on the screen, they're doing, they're texting, they're, they're watching videos, they're playing games, they're doing not so much, it's not as much TV anymore. Is that right? Yeah. Am I exactly, yes. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older myself, so I actually am of the age where I will occasionally leave the house without my phone. It's not necessarily in my DNA to always have my phone with me. I usually do have it, but not always. Um, whereas I don't think that anybody who, certainly anybody, nobody who was born after, uh, when did the smartphones come, come out? I seem to remember seeing them around 2008 fairly ubiquitously. So um, uh, those kids who were born in the smartphone, phone era are now uh, 14, so they're, they're getting well into adolescence and never knew a time when you didn't have one. And uh, most people know pictures of, of babies and toddlers who can uh, pretty much 
at least pretend dial a phone number, if not dial one, dial one seriously. <laughs> so it's it's you're right. I mean, it's 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 definitely it's definitely an issue. It's not the only issue with 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 teens and weight. It, um, uh, but uh, it uh, certainly is one of them. Um, uh, the I other have a few questions. I was eating eating dinner the other night with my daughter and son-in-law and their two kids which, who are four and two and we were at a place called Chili's which is a chain here in the U.S. and um, and there there was a a, a screen <laughs> it looked like a tablet on the table that is it was on all the tables and mm -hmm. it was what the waitress uses to take your order Sure. And it's what you then use to pay your bill. But but the and but functionally, my two grandchildren absolutely knew that was there. And to a certain extent, one of them actually did have their their dad's phone that they were watching a video on. But the other one was was playing games on this this screen that was sitting on the table, which I wished was gone. I mean, I wished I could have told them take it away. But but it and it wasn't attached. And they probably would have if I would have just asked, but it was on all the tape. And, and that was a little disturbing to me because you hope that mealtime is when you can avoid um, having that screen time occurring, you know? That's, um, that's, quickly, that's good. Areeb, it looks like you're on now. Um, I am. Would you I am. now state that you're on? Because we had a heck of a time at the start of this webinar. I am really sorry. Today was a disaster for me too, but I am on and I do have some questions because my daughter is 16 months old <laughs> and I have recently been through fatherhood, my first daughter, and the things you just explained baffles me because I, I don't know what's the other way because my, my children's screen time is more than three hours a day. Oof. She eats uh, all the formula, like I think the the mother feed was only for three weeks, four weeks. After that, it was all uh, formula milk, the Korean uh, formula milk called Morinaga. And we gave it till like one year and then it changed to Nido, a different one from Nestle. And uh, like, and I think that's the norm. Like we have, my friends do it. So I started doing it. Though I live with my mom and she has a different approach. She doesn't approve any of this, but it makes her life easy when she's busy with cell phones. <laughs> she's watching something that gives us some time to do something. Otherwise, it's constantly. But I've seen she's screaming like when she's not on and she's screaming and behavior change. So I need to find some ways to make her busy in some other things. And she like I think she's 15, 15, 16 months old. She weighs around like 12 kgs. I'm not sure how much is that in pound. 12 kgs, about 24 pounds. 27, 28 pounds or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel it's obese. I'm not sure it's obese or not. But yeah, that's the problem. I think the modern parents we are facing. Things are there. The formulas are there. We are not going for organic. We just like go with some formula. So, because it's approved by the companies, uh, I'm not. I think doctors also approve it, and so that's why we give it. And, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you always want to check with your doctor for, for things like that, certainly. Um, yeah, you know, it's a difficult issue. Um, one thing that, um, and again, you know, I, I do have to give the disclaimer that none of this is medical advice, of course, but I, I think we're pretty safe with, with screen time. Um, um, the um, uh, one thing that I have sort of passed on, and I, I use this a lot for sleep issues, which is another big, another thing we could spend an hour on, certainly. Um, the Sometimes if you're trying to break a toddler habit, I mean, it is, it, we're all busy, I know, and it, this is a lot easier said than done in a lot of households. And, and, and I've always tried to get that in, when, I, when I pass on advice. Um, however, um, what I tell people is if you can carve out maybe 48 hours when uh, you're both home, you're both not working or not working much, and you um, may not be as stressed, just try, if you can carve out that time to devote mm -hmm. to breaking a toddler habit, you can uh, you can have maybe a little bit more success. I know I have done this for parents, and uh, I don't have a lot of families that have actually followed through with that, but I have also had some success stories for people who have done exactly that. Um, uh, in other words, just devote these 48 hours to saying, okay, no, you've had your one hour or your two hours or Technically, it's 16 months. It's supposed to be no hours, but uh, you know, we realize we do. Again, I, I I do realize we live in the real world, and and what the American Academy. I I you know I I do practice along the lines of the American Academy of Pediatrics, but sometimes what is recommended by us, I won't even say <clears throat> them, by us because I I I am part of them too, uh, is not always what can be accomplished at home. But there's there's definitely a middle ground and if you say all right no our one hour is up and we're done and and yeah uh, you can spell each other with naps <laughs> uh, mm. you and, uh, and uh, a lot of times when they realize this is the way it is it doesn't take that long yeah no I will definitely follow this because here's I have a problem with screen time I cannot change it but I want to change it because my cousins like daughters are like four or five now and they have glasses uh -huh. I am 31 I do not have glasses yet okay. and I want the same for my daughter but yeah. the amount of time they spend on the screen this will damage this it has damages so I never want my daughter to have some kind of eye issue or have glasses on. So definitely breaking the habit. I need to change. I need to do it. So yeah, I think I will follow this 48-hour rule and see if uh, it makes sense and if it works out. So definitely, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, nothing else it may help. Maybe a preventer of childhood obesity. It's supposed to help with some um, learning and behavioral things as well. If we if we if we keep that screen time down, so. So, um, Dr. Sack, we're coming up to the top of the hour here, and I want to be very respectful of your time. I apologize for all the issues that we had. I'm going to just tell everybody out there that this will, this is record, being recorded, and we'll have a replay for this. It will be out in the next, well, at the very most, um, three days, but probably two days. 
over the weekend, but even potentially. Mark, it looks like you're back on. Is your mic working at all? You're muted right now, but we had just all, well, looks like he might have just unmuted himself. So, Mark, are you on? Nope, now it says he's yeah. off. Well, <laughs> no, is he on? <laughs> he I think his microphone back. is not working. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, it's, it shows, anyway. Again, we appreciate your patience, Dr. Sack. Audience, we really appreciate your patience. One last little thing. We have another webinar today still that's a replay. It's not live, but it's with Dr. Ingham, uh, Elaine Ingham. We, we've, we've had her on a number of times, and just so everybody's aware of that, that'll come up 3 o'clock uh, um, mountain time or, or wherever you are in the world, so two hours from now, essentially. And I just want to end this with one, thanking you so much for your patience, Dr. Sack. Thank you for being with us. Tell us about this book that's coming out that you've either already got out or that you're writing. And tell well, us. Yes, it's actually not my book, but I, I think that I, I, I like I like to tout it because I, I just really think it has helped me a lot. And I really think that it is marvelous. And this if may. You'll just give us the name. Well, Areeb can throw it into the, the okay. Q&A box. So people yeah. can see. Uh, okay. Uh, because I knew I would not be able to find the window, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Okay. Um, Achieving a Healthy Weight for Your Child. And it's by Dr. Sandra Hassink, H A S S I N K, who uh, has been a wonderful resource. She has uh, established the fir first weight loss clinic. Um, for children in the United States. Um, I will also pass on the article that I have written in, uh, which is in a periodical that is searchable online called Rural Health Quarterly, and it's entitled Treating Obesity in Rural Children. So, and um, I will be writing a little bit more on that as well, so. And what can our each community here, and there are over 32,000 of us, what, what are the kinds of things that we could do down the road that would help support you as you transition away from uh, your physician status um, to being more of a writer, other than maybe buying what you have? Is there, well, what can we do to even transition ourselves? What would you recommend if we okay. wanted to be well, as far as I'm concerned, I see you have my LinkedIn page up there, so stay tuned to, for that, and I usually will put what I'm working on on there. Um, okay. Some of the blog pieces are the, and from and pieces from my column are on there as well, and those are all searchable as well. Um, in, in terms of people, if there are physicians out there who do want to transition to writing, you, I have a couple of resources for you. Um, one is called um, Seek, S-E-A-K, and it is escaping me what even the initials stand for, but you can search it. It is a wonderful um, seminar or series of seminars for physicians who are looking to transition into other careers uh, that are not clinical, and that doesn't mean to say that you cannot be practicing and doing them at the same time. I um, was a writer and a practitioner for seven years together. So um, it can be done. Um, 
The other, if you are more specifically interested in writing, check out the American Medical Writers Association, which is amwa.org. Okay. Wow, those are both great resources. So F-E-A-K is the yeah. acronym for the first one, and then the American um, Medical, Medical Writers. Writers. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, well, thank you so much, Dr. Sack. This has been fun. I, again, I uh, apologize for the, the chaos at the front end, and sometimes you can't do anything about that. But gosh, we sure ended well, I think. There you go. Uh, and great, uh, please stay class. safe wherever you are. Uh, most of the country is having something or other. So, um, yeah. okay. All right. Take care. Well, and Mark, why don't you take us out? Thank you, Dr. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.